And that just unlocked my off the tops and my roundhouses and cutbacks. Once those two things combined, I was like, that was a full man turn. So mantras, it's been a big part of my coaching. It's like three words that are going to trigger your mind and body to react in a certain way, to take off the autopilot that happens to all of us as we surf. Hey everyone, welcome to the Basis Podcast. We got my buddy Chapin Cruder here, um, who is one of the OG online surf coaches. I remember seeing your videos on YouTube, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but I always remember thinking, this is the best stuff, and I always wish that there was more of it. And uh, I kind of wondered w- what happened, and then um, I knew that you were doing surf retreats and whatnot, um, but I guess I'd kind of lost track of where you were. And then uh, I was doing a podcast with my buddy, um, Johnny, and uh, he mentioned you, and he was like, you got to do a podcast with Chapin, so I'm very, uh, Chapin, so I'm uh, very honored and excited to have you here. So uh, thanks for joining, buddy. Hey, Van. Th- hey, Van. Thank you very much. I guess we're both doing the name uh, game right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll figure it out. We'll get each other's names at some point. Um, cool. So um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to talk about you know your journey through surfing and then what you've learned as a surf coach. But why don't we just start from the beginning? Um, where, where are you from? Where did you get into surfing? I'm from Orange County, Costa Mesa, which is basically Newport Beach area and grew up in the waves but not necessarily as a surfer i mean my parents took me to the beach as a young kid just to you know get some of the energy out and always trying to stand up on my bodyboard my parents my dad wasn't a surfer my mom wasn't into surfing so it's just me kind of observing the older guys wanting to be like them and around eight or nine a neighbor's uh dad gave me a board and Hmm. my dad bought me a wetsuit at the frog house we went up to uh dog beach in huntington and nice. he asked a guy coming in, like, what, you, like, what should my son do? And he's like, just get out there. And so my dad sit on the <laughs> beach and like, let me paddle out by myself at like eight or nine. And, um, nice. yeah, I was, I've always, I just, yeah, addicted from the start. The second I stood up, stood up on my boogie board was the second I was like, this is all I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I, I know that feeling. That's so cool. And so eight or nine is when you started boogie boarding and then you just started standing up or what were you boogie boarding before then? And then that was when you first got your first proper surf. Yeah. Boogie boarding before that. And then first surfboard eight or nine. And then within that year, parents started taking me on weekends to like Doheny, um, Wednesdays we'd have half days. So I'd get to the beach on half days and then, you know, it didn't progress at all. thought I was really good because I was standing up and then my, I bet my best friend when I was like, say 10 or something like that. Um, uh-huh. Matt Gorman lives on the North shore now. And I went surfing with him and was just like blown away. Like he was going down the line and like kind of doing turns mm-hmm. and I was still like going straight. So very yeah. humbled by that experience. And when my parents divorced at 12, my dad moved down to the 39th street in Newport beach which allowed me mm. to surf, you know, before school, after school, and then right before dark every day, just obsessed. And, oh, um, and that really helped me progress really quickly. Like within the first year, everyone yeah. started saying like, oh, look, you know, he's starting to get a lot better. And, you know, I was feeling more confident and yeah. Yeah. And was, you know, you hear about so many great surfers um, that go through something personal and then but then the ocean becomes their refuge. And, um, was it, was, did you have that kind of relationship with the ocean? With the, Going you know, the trauma of the then, parents divorcing, yeah. there might've been something subconscious about it, but I was at an age where I could conceptualize it 
and I was in therapy for it. And, um, it turned out to be more of like a freedom thing for me, you know, cause my parents maintained a really healthy relationship and my dad was like coming over for dinner almost every night of the week. Um, oh, wow. in the beginning for the first two years, cause he just moved right across the street. And, yeah. um, so I definitely know it's affected my perspective on relationships <laughs> and, uh, yeah. definitely affected my relationships in general. But, um, the whole moving to the beach and the ocean was like just sense of freedom. Cause I was always doing sports. Yeah. I didn't like, you know, I didn't want to mm. play soccer. I didn't want to play tennis. I didn't want to do all the things I was forced to do. And then when I found something I loved, it was such a, uh, taboo sport still in the early nineties that, my parents mm -hmm. didn't support it, you know? So it was like, I'm oh, really, yeah, I had to yeah. pay for all my own gear. I had to pay for my entry into all the contests I had to, they never came and watched. <clears throat> it was just, you know, you can do what you want, but it's, it's, and they never said it out loud, but it's like, it's very clear if they came to right. every single soccer game and then didn't show up to any of my serve comps that they weren't like huge, oh. huge fans, you know, <laughs> but they knew, but they knew that you, loved it though right did, did you communicate that to them definitely of course um you know i think that for the whole family just the divorce kind of just sent us all on our own path and me and my sister haven't talked about mm -hmm. it in depth but like everyone was just to fend for themselves you know like dad was going to uh la to hang out with a new girlfriend mom had a new boyfriend they were like doing their thing you know i was 12 just like having the best time of my life on my bike on the beach with the friends. Like nobody was checking in on me and you know, my sister's two years younger and I think, you know, that was hard for her, but she also found a family that just took her in and like, we all just kind of went our separate mm -hmm. ways, even though like we had Sunday at Bob's, which was my dad's name every Sunday. And like, we still dinners and stuff, but life just kind of opened yeah. up for me and I could do whatever I wanted. <clears throat> Right. And then you got to go and surf your brains out with your buddies. And that must have been a magical way to grow up in some ways. It was the best. I mean, it was the first taste of freedom I ever had that uh, in hindsight, I can compare to what I felt for the first time when I landed in Costa Rica at like 18, you know, or the first time I jumped in a van and like drove to Costa Rica at like 20. And just like that sense of just knowing I do whatever I wanted. Um, mm hmm was the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Freedom is one of those, those things that I think as a surfer, we all, we all chase. I mean, you know, the, the feeling of being in the ocean alone when the waves are pumping, you just feel like you're out there and that's a magical feeling just to go to get away from it all. So it makes sense that surfing is the thing that you got obsessed with. So then as you, um, you know, so you're a 12 year old kid and you start to get into comps. Were you a naturally gifted surfer? How would you describe your progression as you learned, you know, starting from, you know, that age and, and got better? If you were competing, it sounds like you were pretty decent, but what was that like for you? No. And it's such a good question, dude. I'm glad you asked because I think it's the reason I've stuck with it for over 30 years is that I wasn't gifted. I was a gifted athlete. You could give me a ball and I could juggle it and I could hit it and I could do whatever I wanted as like more of an elite athlete in those sports, but put me on a surfboard and like, I wasn't gifted, you know, being 12 years old on almost six feet, not very flexible, you know, getting to my feet super slow. Um, obviously surfing is a multidiscipline sport. You have to learn how to read the ocean. You have to learn how to paddle correctly. Timing. 
I mean, we'll get into all that, but no, dude, not at all. And like, even though I got better, <laughs> I progressed a lot in that short period of time when I was living with my dad. Um, the, every like my bet, my closest friends were just they were gifted. I mean, they were getting first place in every comp for NSAs. I think we were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I think the best I ever did was like a high school comp. I got maybe third because nobody showed up and like <laughs> there's three of us in the water kind of thing, you know? So no, one, 100% not gifted. And the only reason I still surf today is because I have realized over time that I really like a challenge and that's mm-hmm. what's kept me focused on just kind of trying to always progress and figure out why certain aspects of surfing have always been difficult for me. Like I still drag my knee when I pop up. Well, you know, it's so interesting because I was literally thinking that as well, when you were talking about how your parents would go to your soccer games, but not go to any of your comps. I was almost like that must've made you want to get in. It could do one of two things. It could either make you quit surfing or it'd make you want to surf even better just to prove them wrong. Like I'm actually going to do this or I'm, you know, to, to want something so bad that like you're doing it, even though your family is kind of rejecting it or ignoring it must have a interesting, like it must add some kind of interesting drive to the way you approach it. So it, just the way I think if you're not good at something and then you really get obsessed with like, I got to overcome this, it, it adds a little fire to you. you know? Yeah. I was at that age where I think my parents' opinion of me did matter, but I was more trying to fit in with my friends and be accepted yeah. by my friends. So one thing I was always jealous of was that the friends I had who grew up surfing with surf families who accelerated at it had this like network of families that they all like went to Mexico together and did all this cool shit where mm. I always felt isolated and not a part of that. And I was always like on the fringe, I felt accepted by these mm-hmm. people and, you know, but you know, my parents weren't part of that crew. And so it was just mm-hmm. a very isolating feeling, but also it was where I, where I felt the most at home was in the ocean with these people. Yeah. Yeah. So then did you eventually start to catch up with your buddies and your peers or like, uh, how did that all work out? You know, so as you begin to progress, you get into high school, like middle school, high school, what, how, where did things go from there? I think my progression didn't, um, accelerate in the way I wanted it to. I had expectations of myself that were never met and that started, you know, conflicting with my identity and then surf culture at the time. And probably still is maybe to a certain extent. Um, you know, you, you, a lot of heavy partying as I got in my high school years, like just drinking and partying and getting depressed as well. I battled with a bit of depression. When I was like 15 and, um, mm. I was starting to get burnt out on it. You know, the, the co- competition mm. thing wasn't fun. The whole culture wasn't fun. My friends were, so a lot of them were like pretty gnarly drug addicts at this point. And although mm. I never took to drugs, I definitely always like enjoyed a drink. And, um, I found myself kind of thirsting for something else. So a friend in sophomore year in math encouraged me to go back out for soccer. I'd always played soccer cause I was kind of forced to, I was decent at it. And, um, it's kind of a bit of a salvation. I got back into soccer in high school, played pretty casual while I was still very much surfing sophomore and junior year. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. something happened when I was a senior, 17 years old, going into my senior year where it's like, I, I quit. I was done with surfing. This, I had this, I had really? this moment yeah. in, um, Europe 
with my father. My dad took me and my sister for a three-week trip to Europe when I was 17 before my senior year. And I found myself standing in the Louvre in Paris in this beautiful museum full of the most like ancient, beautiful art I'd ever seen. And it was the first time in a long time, if ever, I'd ever really felt at peace and seen, seen so much beauty around me. Mm. And um, mm. that feeling didn't leave number one and I wanted to maintain it. So I devised a plan that I was, cause I was naturally gifted at soccer. I would go back and completely commit myself to it and mm. um, try to make it as a professional athlete and try to make it back to Europe. So oh. for the next five years, that's all I did. I just obsessed again. That's one thing we all have in common as surfers is obsessive nature. Yeah. <laughs> and yep, um, yeah. Yep. So I think, you know, I maybe served a handful of times over the next five years and um, just obsessed over soccer and got, got wow. myself through college, not with soccer, but it just kept me focused enough to make enough good grades that I could get myself into schools and then walk on. So my goal was to make it as a UCLA soccer player. I thought that would be like a, a good goal to have. <laughs> and so, uh, I did junior college and focused and walked on eventually at UCLA and made the team. And then, um, dude, that's an awesome story. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. It was one of those moments that you can see hard work does pay off if you, if you really dedicate yourself to something. Yeah. And that's so interesting because it's weird, but in my head, my natural thought is like, soccer would be more competitive because there'd just be more, there's just more people that play soccer. Yeah. But I guess you were naturally talented at it. Um, yeah. I but the interesting thing is, please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was, when I think about soccer, it's, um, you know, one of my good, my good buddies, Kay, he's like, he's, he, he's like really, you know, good soccer player, super, you know, talented as well. And it just, the way he describes it is it, it just requires full dedication and it's extremely tough on your body. You know, a lot of these athletes don't make it for very long into their careers. They get injuries and all kinds of stuff. Um, but it just, it just, it seems harder to me it to walk onto the UCLA team than it does to, although I guess surfing is super competitive as well. And it's a smaller world too. So I don't know how those would equate, but regardless you're i mean getting walking onto the ucla team is a pretty awesome achievement thank you yeah i mean i'd love to unpack that a little bit with you because i've thought a lot about the different nature of what i attempted to do and you know as i was getting into soccer surfing was such a love and a passion of mine and an obsession as mm -hmm. well and then the soccer thing came around and there was so many there's so much structure in there, like you walked onto a field that was marketed by chalk and you had these rules to play by. So I could take this hyper competitive nature I had within myself that I wasn't succeeding at in surfing and take it onto a soccer field where I was very successful. And that mm. balance made way more sense to me. Like I, I still surfed, mm. you know, a lot less, but like surfing then became more fun. I was enjoying it. It was right. a release. It was what I originally got into it for. And then I could take right. that competitiveness and just leave it all on the field, dude. You know, the, oh, that's the fucking anger, the hatred for whatever it was in the moment. I just like yeah. go and did it on the field and I'd go meditate in the water kind of thing. And that was that's really awesome. nice, healthy balance for me. Yeah. Well, it's, and I think it's interesting because a lot of people that grow up surfing end up getting burned out on surfing. You know, they just, even my buddies that, you know, I live in Brooklyn 
I have a bunch of buddies who are from Hawaii. They come here and then they don't get as many waves as they want. They're frothing so hard. And then they get, they move back to Hawaii and then they're like, oh, I can't be bothered. It's not perfect and glassy overhead offshore. So I'm not going to go out. I'm like, dude, it's pumping. It's maybe the winds aren't perfect, you know, but they're just like, you're like, ah, I can't be bothered now. You know, you just get spoiled and you know, you, and I can begin to see how you can become burned out and just like, it becomes more monotonous and it, it doesn't become as interesting as the way it used to be when you can't surf all the time. So if you're training super hard, then going and surfing must be like the best feeling ever. You just let the ocean wash over you and just washes everything away. Right. It was the best, you know, we would have double days in the summertime at UCLA. And then, uh, my high school, my college roommate and I would just drive down to like, um, Venice or we drive up to Zuma and we would just, it was just like kids again. Cause I actually grew up mm -hmm. with this guy. So we're just laughing and just having the best time. It was so fun nice that sounds great and so what happened when you so at some point okay well, where did it go after the this this playing soccer like what happened there yeah so you were you walked onto the ucla team and then what happened next then uh just you know achieve that goal but it just as anybody who ever tries to play a professional sport or any kind of sport realizes you're always in a dogfight, trying to like fight your way into the lineup and that's how that was for me for two years. Again, found myself in a situation where now I wasn't a good, like I wasn't talented anymore. Like everybody was way more talented. Yeah. Um, and just to like mm. quickly go through it, basically sat on the bench most of the time. Uh, but we did wind up winning a national championship, which was really cool. And then um, I was somebody and still am somebody who really believes in, you know, doing what they say they're going to do. So I was mm -hmm. telling everybody the whole time, like, I'm going to Europe, I'm going to Europe, I'm going to walk on. And um, so we went to meet George W. Bush for winning the national championship. And I had the bus driver drop me off at the airport and I flew to Belgium <laughs> and uh, wow. started walking on, started just cold calling different teams all over. I called every single first division team and every single second division team. And in the first month I got two trials and, um, walked on and the first division team was way out of my league. Um, the mm -hmm. second division team I could have played with, I know for a fact, but I had one shot. I had a bad tryout and blew it. And after that, yeah. I was just like, you know what? I'm done, dude. This has been a great adventure for the last five, six years, but I don't want to keep doing this anymore. Like my body's fucked. Um, yeah. Being, you know, my own, my, my trainer, I'm my manager. I'm like doing everything that a lot of people have multiple people doing for them. I just didn't have yeah. it in me anymore. So I called up a buddy and said, Hey, I'm not coming home for at least a year. Do you want to travel around the world with me? And he's like, I'll be there in two weeks. So he met me in uh, Denmark and we just started hitchhiking East and we made our way through, uh, you know, like Sweden, Norway, Finland, Mongolia, China, like Russia, Oh, India, we, you guys went way east. Yeah, we did the whole thing. And then after oh. one year, I was broken from that one as well. That was a, that was a really <laughs> gnarly trip. And um, flew home from, uh, I left Indo and I was like, told him goodbye. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. He wound up staying like two more years on the road. And I, I wow. flew back, landed, so stoked to be home. I'm 24 years old now. And... Um, parked cars for like nine months and then I had an opportunity to move to Nicaragua after nine months. Mm. And then 
that's where again my surf journey began again like there that, that ah got it i was wondering where how surfing would come back into the equation and so i'm really curious about that and what i'm really curious about is like you went from being like a, an elite athlete you know mm -hmm. you're on the ucla team you guys won a national championship you're trying out for you know pro soccer teams in europe and whatnot and then how that mindset and approach because you talked about the structure that you had as a soccer player and the intensity and all that kind of stuff and the, comp the competitiveness and then you come back to surfing i'm really curious how that is going to overlay and influence things when you get back into surfing but great question van um, you're such an intuitive person and very good at your job dude um <laughs> this is something i've dissected within myself over and over again because that competitive nature had just been so exhausted at ucla mm. and mm -hmm. i was able to then dive back into surfing completely for myself you know, as a young, mm. you know, teenager, there's a lot of ego involved. I want to be as good as my friends. I want to fit in. I want to get the hottest chick. I want to impress everybody. And now it was just pure, pure, pure for me. And mm. the competitiveness that I exhausted playing soccer now, when I was out in the water and you pad paddle battle people and stuff like that, like I had no attachment to it anymore because like every, nobody knew where I just come from. Like I yeah. could just look at like, I was like the ping pong champion of Gigante for like forever, right? <laughs> because I had no attachment to winning or losing, dude. All I cared about was wow. technique and just doing uh, things right. And I, I could yeah. just, I didn't have it. And so I could transfer that into surfing. I wouldn't get as frustrated with myself as I used to. I wasn't competing with anybody. I was just pure all about trying to improve my surfing to the best of my ability to get to a place I, I really wanted to get to, but didn't know if I could. Right. And it's so interesting because so much of surfing is a battle with your ego. You know, you think that's why when you, you know, you listen to like the pro best pro surfers, like all their coaches or a lot of their coaches are basically like their psychologists, yeah. right? It's really about getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Cause like, you know, you have, you, you know, that fear of falling, that fear of judgment, those are all things that inhibit your ability to perform good technique, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and once you're free of that, it sounds like that opened up this whole new chapter in your surfing and it made you a better surfer. So like, what would you describe? Like, so what was it like your progression as you, when you kind of had come back from this stint, you know, you, you we talked about it in a kind of conceptual level mm -hmm. that it, it freed you and you're kind of, you were able to move past this competitive nature, but like, what did that like mean in a concrete way? Like, how did it improve? Did you, were there like these big changes in your technique or these discoveries or, or what was it? What was that process like for you? It's slow. So at first I took a lot of what I learned psychologically from soccer and applied it. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, I have one, I've always had one speed and not just go as fast as I can. Seriously. Like when it comes to surfing too, like I, when I was, Growing up, I just I was like, no, I'm just go super fast and not do any turns. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> one of my soccer coaches, Mike Gartland, I'll give him a shout out, told me that he's like, dude, you're a one pace player, man. Like you need to become a two pace mm -hmm. player. Like you need to mm -hmm. pick your head up, look around, see options, and then make a decision. Don't just get the ball and run, dude, because that's not that useful. <laughs> it is at times, <laughs> but like 
And it was right. the same with surfing. Right. So I started to really apply that when I was in Nicaragua. Okay, like, dude, slow down, slow your mind down, dude, take a breath. Hmm. And luckily enough, the timing of me arriving in Nicaragua in 2005, where I arrived at, there was nobody there, like in our hmm. area. So I was surfing Colorado by myself most days. And like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And dude, like for like, I mean, I go there and it's like hundred dudes in the water yeah. is what it feels so like. So like 2005 you know? through 2006, aside from peak season when like JJ and Lance would come down and then like Tom would come up from San Juan, like there was nobody, dude. It was just me, myself and I, and maybe a few guests occasionally because we were just starting our outfit, Giants Fit Surf. And, um. I really had just a buffet of waves with Manzanillo as well. And then Ponga drops to really just have that variety and take my time and know there's going to be another wave. Another thing I learned in soccer, the most important play of the day is the next play. So you have to let go of what just happened, whether it was positive or negative. And so Mm -hmm. every wave that I blew, I just say to myself, the next, the most important wave is the next one, dude, just paddle back out. Who cares? And I just on repeat every single day. And, um, but I had developed so many bad habits from growing up with Mm. that one speed that Mm. I didn't know I had. And it like, what, what's an example? I'll give you a bunch of examples, but real quick, like (laughs) this is also the era of surfing where like, I didn't, the only people who were getting filmed were the kids who like had their sponsors sending people down to film them and like get photos of them. So like, I never saw myself surf. So I had a very whack image of myself that I learned later of how I surfed and um, mm. I was completely wrong. I thought I was way better than I was. So anyways, the first I'd say two years was just me just making the same mistakes, but I had a, a better psychological grasp on, on things. And then mm-hmm. do you know, Tony Roberts, he's a Tony Roberts. Yeah. He was like the staff photographer for all central America for Quicksilver. He was on the crossing and he okay. came up from Costa Rica as Colorado started to like blow up. And he was one of the guys that like was surfing Colorado before anybody knew about it. And I got to know him and he's a straight shooter, dude. A guy does not mince his words and he'll give it to you straight. So he was shooting on the beach one day. I came up, there was another guy looking over his shoulder at some of his photographs. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like you're going to, you're going to make a little bit of money off that guy. He's like, that guy will never buy my photos. I was like, why? He's like, cause he thinks he surfs way better than he does. And everything I just showed him, he thinks that like I didn't get the right shot because he was surfing way better than that. And, but when he was saying that, that was just piercing my soul and heart because he was talking to me as well. And I knew it. Right. And, um, I went home from there. I walked back to Gigante thinking about that going like, all right, dude, like first things first, let's see how many photos Tony has of me. (laughs) Cause I got to see myself surf. And then, once I did, it was horrifying. And uh, <laughs> you're like, I need bleach and I'm going to pour it straight into my dude, eyes right now it was, because <laughs> it was really, yeah, really huge ego blow for real. And so, okay. So then I just decided that's it. All right. Technique is where I'm lacking. I'm not doing the turns I thought I was doing. Um, there's no playbook on how to, how to figure this out. So I just went back and started just going through. We had a little VHS player, all the surf videos. Mm-hmm. I think I was watching like Sons yeah. of Fun and like um, Andy and uh, Rasta's video. What was that one called? When they like Andy and Rasta. When they're con- oh, contrasting wow. their like 
Blue Horizon. Blue, Blue Horizon. Blue Horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the and one. And I would that just sick. slow-mo all these professional turns trying to look for patterns. And yeah. slowly but surely, the arm patterns started to like show themselves to me. And then comparing and contrasting those with Tony Roberts' photos, started seeing like I wasn't doing any of that. And then I had this yeah. you know, buffet of waves where I could go out and test over and over and over again. I mean, but to be honest, like within the first week of finally identifying the pattern of what was being mm -hmm. done by the pros and then going out and right. testing, like I could see a different difference immediately. So that then sent yeah. me down a completely different path of progression. Like progression started coming so rapidly and that's all awesome. just leaps and bounds. I mean, I've been doing this now almost 20 years and I sucked, you know, now it's like right. in six months, my turns are like, I'm doing like legitimate turns now that I consider that's legitimate, so awesome. you know? Yeah. You know, and it's so, it's so interesting because there's, it's so interesting that you can go 20 years without even realizing that you're not surfing well. Yeah. And you, you, I think that there are people that surf there. I mean, not to say they don't surf well, but you can surf a long, just because you've been surfing for a long time, doesn't guarantee that you are going to be necessarily doing good maneuvers, you know? Yeah. It does take an, a lot of attention and detail and really paying attention and dialing things in, um, which, which is, I think is interesting. So then you, you started to feel this whole nother level in progression. What was, I mean, if you can think back to back then, what, what was like the, uh, the big lever for you? Was it like, what was the big unlock for you? Like technique wise, or was it just like, you're just watching the footage and you're like, all right, I'm going to do my arms like that. I'm gonna do my legs like that. Was there any one thing that you think was like holding you up like a big plat a barrier mm -hmm. that once you did that one thing that really unlocked things for you? Yeah, or? there's two things. So number one, the first thing was the arm movement and it wasn't even the movement. What I, what I was doing was I would pump down the line with my right, cause I'm goofy, my right arm bent in front of my chest like a skater, mm. kind of a skater style mm. approach, which mm -hmm. when it comes to now doing a turn, you have to get that lead arm like out and shoulder open right. to make that round right. turn. And that's time. Those are microseconds that you need. And it, it right. you dig rail a lot when you surf like that. Um, there's a few right. examples of like pros who can do it, but they are able to maneuver their body really quickly back into the right position to have the right technique to make those turns. Um, yeah, but so that was the first huge unlock. Once I realized like my, my lead arm was completely wrong on my front side and I started just, I always say to myself, you know, open palm and shoulder, open palm and shoulder, and just like every turn, open palm and shoulder. And that yeah. just unlocked my off the tops and my roundhouses and cutbacks and stuff like that to where I wasn't digging my rail anymore. And then the second thing was, uh, foot movement. My back foot was always a little bit too far up on the tail pad. And so I didn't have the maximum control over my surfboard, which once those two things combine, dude, I was like, that was a full man turn that looks like a professional, you know, when Tony would then start snapping photos, I was like, that was a, <clears throat> that was a sick turn. I was patting myself on the back. It felt really awkward. I mean, it still feels so unnatural for me because I have so many bad habits ingrained in my mm -hmm. DNA at this point, but yeah. The turns that I'm like in my brain, like that was a sick slash. I see it on footage. I'm like, that looks lame. But then the one that I just, I know I just techniqued out and just nerded out on it and had time to nerd out on it. The, the turn looks really good. How did it feel 
the first time you saw like yourself do a proper turn that you're like actually proud of? Like how stoked were you? Dude, I mean, I, that was for me the biggest moment because I never thought I would get to that level as a surfer. I mean, as we talked like 20 years of doing what I thought were good turns, finding out I wasn't, it's got so demoralizing. So am I going to have to now spend 20 more years to get to where I want to be? So like, I didn't think I'd ever get to where I am right now. And you, people can see me surf and judge me. I don't care. But for me, I'm so proud of the way I surf in that, like I can do turns that are legitimately good turns in my mind and visually speaking, you know? Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, it'll only take you literally a few seconds, and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks. Right. That's so awesome, man. Yeah, that that is the best feeling. And it's so interesting that just these two... What seem like, I mean, I think the problem is if you don't know what you're doing wrong, then there are going to be very big obstacles to overcome, right? And a lot of surfers aren't aware of what they're actually doing and what proper technique is, so they kind of never get there. But um, but yeah, just those two things led to those huge unlocks. So I want to drill down on those a little bit further because, you know, like the foot thing, for example, moving your foot around, that's something probably i mean i would a lot of surfers know about but it's just hard to retrain Mm -hmm. your foot to move around because everybody's so you know it's an ego thing actually Mm -hmm. you're scared to lose the wave you're scared that you're gonna uh you know you're gonna step off you're gonna get unbalanced and you're gonna like you know do something so how how are you able to retrain you know moving your feet around or are you just like all right i'm gonna get on a wave and i'm just gonna move my feet around i'm gonna fall off it doesn't matter i'm just gonna do it or like what was your approach so mantras it's been a big part of my coaching since i started the you know the surf pro technique since it's creating a three three word max i think is the most i i recommend but it's like three words that are gonna trigger your mind and body to react in a certain way to you know take off the autopilot that happens to all of us as we surf. We have this survival mechanism, right? And it, it's overwhelming us at all times when we're in this natural environment that could hurt us. And then especially yeah. when we stand up, you know, we're like you just mentioned, like most people are stuck in the frozen foot phase, even though they can kind of do turns, but they can't lift their back foot up and they can't adjust their feet. They've been just surfing like that for 30 years. Um, so mantras. So it's like when I started really getting into this and breaking it down and like pulling back all the layers of technique it's like i'd say to myself paddle hard pop up quick move back foot paddle hard pop up quick move back foot as i was paddling into a Mm -hmm. wave and then that would set everything in motion so when i did stand up move my back foot and i get to the point where it's like a microsecond i pop up bad foot placement move it back super quick and now i'm off and running you know Mm, and i mean unfortunately not everyone has um, waves that they have enough time to do that on. Like I get some people have just super quick shore break. That's really walled. That makes that very difficult. Um, yeah, but if they could find something that gives them a little bit more time, you start to then build that muscle memory and it gets easier and easier and easier. Yeah. Well, you know, I just did a podcast with, um, I think, uh, I think it's Kelsey Gordon. Gordon. And, um, she had a really good tip actually. Um, and since this is part of the discussion, I think it's really good one, but basically like 
you know, like let's say the wave closes out and you're just riding the white water, mm-hmm. just practice moving your feet around there. Cause like, it's no consequence. You're still riding the wave and you just get used to moving your foot around. And then like, you know, it just, you, it just retrains your brain to be comfortable moving your foot around. So that one, I love that. I'd never thought about that. And that's genius. I mean, cause everybody right? can ride the, ride the white water and practice. That's genius. I love yeah, it. Every wave you catch, that's a bad one. All right, I'm just going to move my feet around and, and you get practice. Like and you instantly feel a difference. I mean, the second you move your back foot back, you have max control. If you get it far enough back, you'll notice a difference. And now you have that memory of what it felt like. Yeah, totally. And then the opening the arms up and, you know, if we're doing a front side turn, you mm-hmm. know, that's why front side turns are so much harder than backside turns because it's so unintuitive to open up in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then if your leading arm is like in the way while you're trying to turn, it's like, it's impossible. And what's so, what's been so interesting to me doing that is, you know, people think they're opening up their shoulders, but they're not opening up their shoulders enough. Right. I mean, I know it's been this whole evolution for me where it's like, all right, Oh, I'm getting better and better. And then you see the footage and you're like, no, 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 no. You know, now I'm at the point where I'm like, all right, my, my left shoulder is like behind me and I'm looking my right hand. I can see my right hand pointing up to the white water. And they're like, okay, there, I finally made it. I've rotated my upper body enough, but were there like, how did you dial that in? Was it just like really just drilling in, like committing to opening up all the way, even if like, what was your approach to that? Uh, Again, back to the mantras, just reminding myself, like, and I, I forget the actual like word trigger I would use, but don't let front arm cross in front of your body. So I literally would just like mm. surf down the line with my arms sticking straight out, pointing to the shore in my mind. Uh-huh. When I saw it on like camera, it was never that defined, but I would literally right. just make sure that my arm was levered out, pointing towards shore as I pumped down the wave. And then when I engaged my turn, I would rotate open my palm and shoulder and then engage, you know, my swinging left arm. And then that would just create this beautiful access pivot point and my weight distribution would be more naturally in the right place on my surfboard. Then everything would flow way better. Yeah, that's awesome. And well, and you know, I think what's interesting as well, which is why I think people need like surf coaches like you is that I feel like everybody has their own sticking points. Like for you, it might've been like what was going on in your front arm, but for somebody else, it could totally be what's going on with their back arm, you know, or, you know, your issue is that you tend to go too fast. Other people's issues might be like, they don't generate enough speed. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like part of surf coaching must be about giving per giving someone the right unlock at that point in time for where they are in their surfing. I mean, or how, what's your view on that? Yeah, you, I can see where you're going with it. But what I've observed is that naturally we all do very similar things unconsciously to make a turn. Just it's our human it's physical nature, human, uh, whatever you say, like our physical movements yeah. are the same when you try to twist at your hips, right? So that's mm-hmm. one aspect of my surf coaching that I knew immediately I could accelerate with was that I just stripped away all the unnecessary things to talk about and just focus on the mm-hmm. one thing that would give you the best bang for your buck, the, the instant result. Because a lot of the surf coaches I see bombard you with movements that you're going to naturally do, whether you know you're doing them or not. So there's no need to be mm-hmm. pointing them out in my opinion. 
so to answer your question, like one person having this issue, one person, it doesn't, it's not really like that. Actually, when you start to really break down mm -hmm. the body mechanics of human beings, it's everyone has a lot of the similar issues and you can, I mean, I always feel like I'm repeating myself when I do these like instructional videos for people because it's all the same stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, that, so you, part of your surf coaching was, uh, so you were basically giving, having people send you footage and then you would review Correct. it. And you've probably done this hundreds of times, tons and tons and hundreds tons of times. And they all have this, that must be it's interesting to build shit. up a memory bank. I mean, I could, I could, and it's all the same. Give you the secrets right now to your audience, dude. Here's the, here's the secrets. <laughs> I mean, if, if they can stand up and surf, right? If there's somebody who's now right, like right, an, right. Uh, like upper intermediate to advanced surfer, their their yeah. back foot's 100% of the time not getting far enough back, for sure. Yeah. If they're struggling yeah. with their turns, their back foot's not far enough back. Um, then their upper body, the, the lead arm crossing over for sure for like not nine, I'd say like in the upper 80s percent of people is an issue. You know, they're, mm -hmm, they're, mm -hmm. they're going to engage their turn and their weight distribution because of their body positioning and where their arms are placed is through, is digging their rail and throwing them off, you know, and then mm -hmm. I get a lot into the psychology of things and a few other things, but like a hundred percent of the time it's foot placement on the surfboard always. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a few yeah. little tweaks, upper body. I mean, but on your front side, everyone's going to swing, you know, like I'm, I'm going to swing my left arm in the same way as every other goofy footer does around yeah. the world. You're going to swing your, your regular foot, I'm assuming. So yeah, you're going to swing yeah. your right arm the exact same way as everybody else. So all you have to worry about is your lead arm. And then that's where I step in and say, Hey, check out what your lead arm is doing in this situation, that situation. It's like nine out of 10 times you're doing the same thing with your lead arm. Yeah. And you combine right. lead arm and foot placement. I mean, you're halfway there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's super, that's super cool. It is interesting to think about that, that whole data bank and you've seen so many patterns and they all have the same exact issues. That's so, that's cool. Um, what about, so, okay. You know, just getting back to kind of your personal progression, right. And you spending time down there. So you go through this process, you go deep into this hole of like trying to solve this puzzle mm -hmm. and then you finally unlock the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Right. And then what came next? Did you, was it more, then it became just more of this process of refinement and just getting it better and tweaking it better and better and better. Um, and then also what happened to your relationship with surfing at once you kind of had reached this goal in a way of like, I got to figure this problem and then you, you got it. Like, did it change your relationship to surfing or were you just as same stoked and now you're just like, I'm just doing bigger turns on bigger waves and you know, like kind of like that. What was that like? Um, refinement was the first thing for sure because I'm obsessive. I want to be perfect. I want, I want to do the most perfect top round turn, you know, yeah. like uh, Tom Carroll style, just that pipe, just like ripping a huge top turn or something like that. Like just excellent, excellent. I needed it to be excellent. Perfect. Right. And so that yeah. was years of obsession. And then, um, yeah, because it's a land of lefts and I'm a goofy footer, some way started getting boring because it's the same turn over and over again. So yeah. then you start yeah. experimenting with boards because that gives you a little bit different feeling. And you're riding boards in certain circumstances that you wouldn't normally, but it gives you a different feeling. So you get that stoke and joy back. And then that gets a little old. Sorry, do you want to say something? And actually, before you go there, right? Because so in the beginning, we were talking about, you know, just getting your, your, 
your turns to be like good. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about getting your turns from good to great, like these Tom Carroll turns. Mm -hmm. Like what was the magic sauce that allowed you to do that? Like was there, I mean, I know it's refinement, but like what was it that you were refining? What were you focused on? Uh, where I started my turn on the wave. So in the beginning, it was just making the turn, look and feel excellent, but then doing it on the portion of the wave that really optimizes for the maneuver. You know, you watching the pros take it all the way to the top and just destroying the lip, but without blowing their tail out. Like, I mean, that is a very teachable thing in a very unique way and like specific way. But it's like, that's where my mind went. Like, okay, where I start my turn, where I finish my turn. Cause I was blowing my fins out so much. Cause I was just so out of control and, um, Mm just refining it and trying to understand the mechanics of where to do the turns in the correct portion of the face of the wave. Yeah. I've actually been, I mean, I do the same thing. I watch footage of the pros and I just watch it on repeat and I'm like going super slow-mo and inspecting every frame. And that's, those are the exact turns that I've been obsessed with as well, where they look like they're coming into a section where they're going to be just be doing a, you know, re-entry off the lip but then they just have a little slight curve in it and then they carve all the way down. And I'm just like, Oh God, that looks so sick. You know, just there's a turn, uh, but it takes a whole nother level of commitment. Cause you know, it's interesting. I see myself going for re-entries and I'm like, I should have been trying to do a carve in that section. And if I'd done a carve in that section, then I would be going, doing the kind of turn that I'm actually wanting to do, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this interesting process yeah john john uh, does those really well where he takes a the lip on a very steep face and does a a very natural looking turn from top to bottom on it but i have i don't have issues with john john but like he is one of the examples i mentioned earlier where it's like his actual mm -hmm. technique and approach from my opinion is is Mm -hmm. i don't want to say flawed because he's got two world titles but like it's unnatural him and dane reynolds both they both let their lead Mm -hmm. arm drift in front of their bodies but they right when they go to engage, they're able to rip that arm straight back into the correct technique and area mm. for the turn. Mm. So when you watch, are you talking about the leading arm? Are you talking about when they're doing the bottom turn? They yeah. like rotate. So, Cause a lot of people swing the back arm back, but they're rotating with their front arm forward as well. So yeah, their, their whole, their, it looks like, yeah, their twit, their front arm is drifting in front of their body. Where for me, yeah. when I was learning about this, like that would just completely inhibit me from doing the top turn but they have right. the ability to like pull their arm back just in the nick of time to open up that palm and shoulder to then rotate right. the turn off the top. It's magical to watch. Obviously we all love watching them surf, but like from a technique perspective, they're like, they're right. like the Picasso's of the world. They can do it right until they can just do it wrong. If they want, it doesn't matter. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'd always thought that like, if you put that front arm, too far forward when you're going up, you're kind of disengaging the rail, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and it, yeah, it's going to make it harder to rotate all the way back around, but maybe that's the reason why they're doing it. Cause they're so powerful. They want like, you know, like you, you, for a punch, you pull your arm back to throw it totally. forward. They're just like their level of power is like, all right, I'm throwing <laughs> my front arm all the way over there so I can rip it all the way back. Kind of, you deal, know, that's right? a good point. I'd never considered. And that would make sense. They're at such a level now where they can, they can generate more power by just going completely off the reservation. dude. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I remember seeing this one wave by John, John, where, I mean, we're talking about like going, trying to go vertical, but 
literally the wave looked like it was like the lip was coming down and he carves like basically upwards into the lip and like just draws the craziest line that I've ever seen any surfer period do. I'm just like, just so much of being a good surfer. It feels like, I mean, once you fundament, you, you master the, the fundamental technique skills really comes, it feels like it becomes more and more about like your relationship with the wave and just accessing the more, like the more powerful, critical parts of the wave. Right. hundred percent. And, and getting comfortable there because there's so much more risk in those critical, powerful parts of the wave. Right. hundred percent. And so it's like this mental thing, um, you know, and you, you talk about how there are some mental unlocks for, for you. Um, you know, what kind of tips would you give mentally for somebody that's trying to, you know, do these more critical turns, um, and more powerful turns. So the mantra thing is huge for me. And that would be the only one. Yeah. Like I compare it to recently I heard on Joe Rogan, um, this guy who created shot IQ where he, he trains Mm. professional bow hunters, how to prepare for a shot and be so in control that they can literally like pull the trigger halfway. And if they want to then not take the shot, they can let like, let it, whatever Mm. it's called. And, um, Mm -hmm. It hit me so hard. That's what I was doing with my mantras when it came to everything. So like we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier, like when you spin around and you paddle for a wave, intuitively, instinctually, you have the survival mechanism kick in because now you have this energy coming from behind. You can't see. You're relying on instincts. And for all of us, no matter at what level you are, because if you get in the big waves, you're going to feel it again. You have to figure out a way to suppress the instinct to stand up. Cause nine out of 10 times you're going to stand up too early and you're gonna get fucking drilled, mm. you know, from mm-hmm, beginner mm-hmm. to big wave surfer. So like when he was talking about what he's developed within his training process, it's like the same as my mantras. You're trying to figure out a way to suppress these instincts that are giving you inaccurate signals, wrong signals to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so from, from turns again, the mantras saying, Whatever you're trying to accomplish, if it's like for me and my lead arm, like don't let lead arm cross body, don't let lead arm cross body, don't let lead arm. And I'm just the whole wave. That's all I'm saying to myself, even if I'm not even going to do a turn. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've, I've really? blown so many waves on purpose just to drive home this, like just to drive this into my DNA. So I don't do it anymore. Interesting. And it's really just trying to wow. override this natural circuitry that we have. That's giving us false information under these circumstances. Um, so, and that's all I've ever come up with for myself. That's worked. I don't have any other tricks. It's, it's just literally talking yourself through it, blowing waves, being okay with it and doing it over and over and over again. But I mean, it makes, it makes sense and simpler is better in a lot of ways, especially for something like surfing, where there's just so much going on, you need it to be as simple as possible. Yeah. Right. Um, so I like that idea. Is there, so what mantra would you, what mantra do you use right now? when you're trying to rip a big front side turn in a critical part of the way, uh, you know, how about still just like, (laughs) don't let front arm get in the way or what? Oh yeah. Today. I mean, today I did a turn just like that for sure. It's small where I'm at right now. And, uh, I had an opportunity to do a turn. Um, Uh and I was just sitting there going, don't let lead arm, you know, I was like going to like pointed straight towards the beach with my lead arm and, um, did a turn I was really proud of and came to the beach and my buddy was like, dude, that was a sick turn. So, but I think for me right now, because I don't get to do a lot of turns for where I'm at right now, um, wave-wise, yeah. I'm back into the phase of like 
paddle hard, pop up quick, paddle hard, pop up quick. Like that's all I think about. Um, just, just Hmm. going back to the basics because some of the ways I'm surfing at the moment are, um, scary (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun though. Yeah. And so actually coming back to something that you'd said before, you know, people popping up too quick, especially in waves of consequence, like you, you know, this is a a shift that I've been making mentally myself and surfing hollower waves. Mm as well as it's like i've been trying to because you're right you you want to be like paddling as hard as you can and you're like you have to get comfortable visually with your head like peering over the ledge mm-hmm. of like this wave that looks like it's going to land on you like you can see the lip you know you'll, you're looking down the line and you just see that lip beginning to throw and getting super steep and it's like mentally just being acclimated hey this is actually where i want to be mm-hmm. you know Instead of like, you know, uh, and then just pat and then taking extra paddles and, and going down the line and, and popping up. But so much of it seems like this desensitization process where you just get comfortable in those, you know, more critical, uh, situations. Um, and so taking paddling harder, obviously that, that is the key. Have there been any other unlocks for you or, you know, things that you've been learning as you're pushing yourself in these more challenging waves? Equipment matters a lot, but not as much as you think when you're, you know, an average surfer. Um, I have mm-hmm. so many guys reaching out and saying like, I just got these new fins. They're called like super ripper fast fins or something, whatever the names are of these fins these days. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, that makes no sense. And that makes no difference in the way you're about to surf today, dude, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> equipment matters, like fins will matter at an elite level. You will notice a difference. Right. Like I've had boards that didn't work and changed my fins out and it worked magically, but mm-hmm. you won't notice your fins at all for a long time. Um, yeah. your board as well, you know, like there's just so many gimmicks these days to get people to buy boards and like, I mean, I could go on for hours on this stuff, but I would say if you're struggling to get up and ride a wave, you're not, your board's just not big enough. You need to have more volume. Yeah. It's gotta be a way bigger board. Right. And that's what I try to convey to it. And like 99% of the people who reach out to me is just like, you're just not riding the right equipment. You know, you need to, yeah. you need to ride the right equipment. I, I'm struggling with that where I'm at right now. I came with the wrong equipment and, uh, mm. that then creates a snowball effect and a domino effect of like, well, mm-hmm. I'm putting myself in dangerous situations with the wrong equipment. And the consequences are real and, um, it inhibits my ability to focus on the areas I need to focus on to stay safe and ride waves. So, you know, at this point I've stepped up my game. I got a lot of the right equipment and I'm, I feel way better about everything at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean, it's always better to err on the side of having too much volume than too little volume. Yeah, right? for sure. More volume, more fun, they say, or something like that. Um, yeah, foam is your foam friend. Foam is your friend, yeah. yeah. And like, you know, I'm 43 and um, the last five years I haven't surfed that much. And I'm getting back into it and like mobility has been a huge issue for me. Like I'm getting a lot mm. better because I'm surfing every day. I've surfed like 95 of the last 100 days and um, mm-hmm. my mobility is coming back, but it's taken three months and 
it's important, dude. You got to maintain it. Whether I think surfing is the best way to maintain it, but if you can't, you got to be doing something that engages your whole body. So it's like mm -hmm. doing land pop-ups or burpees or whatever your thing is that you're doing. It's important for mobility yeah. reasons. So what, um, what, what mobility issues have you been struggling with? Uh, neck and like hip. My right hip from like my my right ankle is destroyed from soccer, so it's like collapsing. So now it's affecting my right hip, and so like pig dogging backside, and my neck wow. too. Like pig dogging, getting that right hip to engage in the right way, and then looking up, you know, as I'm trying to drop into this, some waves that I'm already scared to be dropping in on. It's like <laughs> it's that's been hard. <laughs> so, but now three months of doing it, like I'm back to feeling more comfortable in that like stance and uh, yeah. it's getting better but i have a whole routine in the morning now i do like 30 minutes of neck neck stretches and yeah wow but what what is the neck coming from did you have an injury to your neck that caused some, something or is it just it's, it's genetics and soccer compression like headers you know it's like oh. i have a deteriorating disc in one of my, in my like upper neck and it's created some like um issues and I think just my genetics, like my spine just naturally is uh, more straight. So gravity's pulling it forward. So it's created a bunch of just muscles getting way too tight, trying to hold my neck up. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Wait, so. <clears throat> so you, we, we kind of skipped this one piece that I'm curious about. So you went like moved to Nicaragua, you were there for a while. And then this is this when when you were in Nicaragua, is that when you were doing the surf pro technique videos and whatnot? Yeah, so that started so I, I did the first five years until two thousand ten, running just pure surf retreats for people who could surf. Um mm -hmm. and in two thousand ten we sold that, me and my partners, and I stayed and worked with the new owner and then stayed basically on and off until two thousand seventeen, continuing to run retreats. Um, and I started kind of wanting to have the freedom to explore the world a little bit more without being location dependent. So I started mm. seeking out and understanding more about this digital nomad community and like, well, what skill sets I might have to give people of value. Mm -hmm. And all I knew was surfing. So I started developing the idea of like maybe trying to put some stuff online on YouTube and then maybe creating a course around it. And so 2015 is kind of when I started the, the digital journey into mm -hmm. course creation, YouTube and, and teaching online. But from 2010 to 2015, then because Nicaragua just gotten so crowded, there was no market for like advanced surfers looking for uncrowded waves, which is how we used to market it. Now it's like right, everyone's right. parked at Colorado and a lot of them can surf, but like, I could see that they could surf a lot better if they just right. knew that they could move their foot like four inches back, they'd be ripping the turns that they probably wanted to rip for the last 20 years. And so right. I started concocting more ideas around like trying to help that type of surfer, but realistically, like they weren't asking me for advice and I wasn't just offering it up. So I was just pushing people into waves and teaching them how to just kind of just yeah. do the fun stuff the whole time trying right. to like refine the message of like, okay, if this person is serious about this, what could I say to them in this hour? That's actually going to help them progress really rapidly in the next month mm -hmm. to six months. So that's kind of where the surf instruction started was like, like 2010 mm -hmm. through 2000, 
So you were helping beginner surfers as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that was the market. I mean, it still is the market yeah. in a lot of ways. Like all my friends right, who run right. surf retreats, like they just get beginners, you know, unless they have a really right. well-established surf camp and they've been around forever or they're like an Indo where it's like beginners aren't really going to go on a boat trip, you know? Right, right. Besides obviously riding the right board, what's your best piece of advice for a beginner surfer? Find the right wave. I mean, mm. you have... Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you have limited options depending on where you come from. So I don't ever want to like shit on, you know, somebody's situation, but I get a lot of people writing me. Like I, I just find myself, you know, not figuring this out. I've been at this now for six months and it's not getting better. And the first question, I just had a guy email me two days ago. Um, and I was like, send me your location. What, what is the wave that you surf every day? You know, before I answer any of these questions, I want to see what you're surfing every day. And then I'll start checking the yeah. uh, waves in the area. And usually it's like, dude, you can't surf that wave every day. You need to go down to this wave based on the photos. This is what it looks like to me. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but like the wave itself makes a huge difference in how fast you can progress. Totally. And is it usually that they're picking a wave that's too advanced for them or it's just not enough? Like it's not good enough wave for too them. advanced. I mean, yeah. shitty waves, like mushy, shitty waves are great to begin on, you know, as we know. So, right. um, you know, you coming from like the Newport beach area, it's like, I'm taking clients up to dog beach in Huntington, which isn't ideal, but it's at least better than Newport or Huntington, you know, by the pier at least gives you on the right tide, a little bit more of a mushy wave to like help beginners. But you're looking like for a beginner, you want to go to like a Santa Nofri or, you know, right. Waikiki, something like that take out a, like a stand up paddleboard, like make it, make it so you win like on your first session and don't get demoralized because you wrote a six, six or six O at Newport beach right. and just got pounded. Yeah. I mean, I see it all the times. Like you'll go, you, all the good surfers will be at one spot and then you'll just see this line of beginners just literally just sitting on the shoulder, just waiting around, like not catching any waves. I'm just like, dude, if you just paddle down there, there's, waves down there you're gonna have way more fun and you're gonna learn way quicker like why are you trying to compete for these waves and you're not gonna be able to compete it just doesn't make any sense yeah it's a it's a tough topic to bring up out in the lineup like i'm always willing to offer up friendly you know tips to people but as we both know it's like everyone has an idea of how they're gonna do it and want to do it their way right 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 got it okay so you and you were in Nicaragua, you were, and, and so how did you, because I know that you also have a, a podcast right now. Yep. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Oh yeah, I'd love to. Um, it's a passion project of mine. So over the years of travel and being in Nicaragua, I met just so many unique, beautiful people. And um, a lot of them, I would say, don't fit into mainstream society, which is why like we all find ourselves in these little backwater places trying to do what we love. And I just started just listening to their stories and fell in love with their stories and thought that the world should hear them as well. So title of the podcast is called misfits and rejects. And I always like cognitive dissonance. I think those two words, even though they have negative connotations, like the way they clash in your brain is interesting because the message is so positive and so mm -hmm. beautiful. What I'm trying to convey, I hope I'm doing it in a, in a good way, but I'm always trying to honor and elevate these people's stories. But yeah, like, you know, like episode four, Dale Dagger, like the guy sailed the Pacific for like 20 years and then shipwrecked in Nicaragua and was so broke he never left. And then just through like wow. sheer ingenuity and like 
obviously a little bit of luck, like started selling real estate and like did okay, landed on his feet. And um, wow. then there's like Brian Friedrichs. I think he's like episode seven. Like he was a drug smuggler for years and he got sentenced <laughs> to 10 years in a Mexican prison and um, oh my God, served two. But um, you know, he's gotten, he was just doing marijuana, like not Coke yeah, or nothing yeah. like that. But like, when you really, I wouldn't want to go to Mexican prison though. I'll tell dude, you that. He said he sounds- slept sitting up under a table for two years. Cause the, the cells were like packed with like 28 people and there's room for four. So like his <laughs> spot was under a desk, just sitting up all day, all night for two years is brutal. What? Yeah. Wow. Um, and I've just traveled the world trying wild. to capture as many stories as possible. And what I've learned is that, you know, the ones that I was initially inspired by are usually the ones who don't want to talk to me because they don't want to ever be found. <laughs> so I've definitely had to like adjust. And I, I talk to a lot yeah. of just people who have unique stories, you know, like there's a lot of digital nomads I really admire who live these really unique lives traveling the world and making a lot of money yeah. just on their laptop. So I've tried to capture yeah. that side of things. And then, um, just interviewed a, a girl in, uh, she's in Mauritius right now, but she's, her goal is to, um, go to all 54 countries in Africa and just help break the stereotypes and the stigmas of like how dangerous Africa is. So I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool. I brought her on to talk about that. We talked about Nigeria the whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, these stories are just remarkable and these people are beautiful and they have a lot to share. And I think we could learn a lot from them and their life, uh, especially in, you know, America where the media is just sensationalizing everything. Like I'm in Mexico now and it's like my family is terrified of Mexico and I'm on the ground and I go home and I tell them what's going on. They don't believe me. And it's like, I just had coffee this morning with friends. They've been driving around Mexico and Central America for the last two years and never had an issue. And it's like, if I can help break some of those images and stereotypes and get more people to enjoy their life in any way, shape or form, whether it's traveling or just quitting a job they hate or ending a relationship they're miserable in like that's, that's my dream. That's rad. Yeah. I mean, there's so many misconceptions about Mexico, Central America that are absolutely not true. I mean, if you're not looking for trouble, you're probably not going to get in any trouble if you're smart about things. It's silly. And your podcast sounds, your podcast sounds awesome. I mean, surfing, I mean, some people might not, you know, especially those that are getting into it now, you know, um, but like surfing was like this rebel outcast misfit reject sport, Yeah, yeah. you know, like you, surfers were considered like, like, why are you sitting around the ocean for hours? And I still ask myself that question, but <laughs> you know, it is kind of this, yeah, this, this different kind of activity. And I think, you know, all the, those stories that you're telling, I mean, in a way they're living the dream, right? They're, they're doing what they're really passionate about. They're not, they're not holding back and that's an inspiration. So anybody that is thinking about making those kind of changes or just needs some inspiration, that sounds like a great podcast to listen to. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to keep going. I love it. Um, I'd love to turn it into a docu series. So if any of your audience, you know, knows anything about making documentaries or I just think that the locations I find myself in with some of these characters, if we had a camera crew with us or at least one camera that someone knew how to use, we could capture some really cool stuff. So that sounds awesome. And so are you still doing surf coaching as well? I do. Yeah. I have my YouTube channel, which you noted doesn't have uh, any, or it has videos, but I kind of quit after a while because I kind of got to the point where, like I said, like I, all the information that I have on my YouTube channel is what I would tell you 
if you reached out to me. Yeah. So the only difference is, is that when you send me your footage and I voice over it, you get to see specifically what you're doing wrong, which is hard for people to visualize unless they right. can compare and contrast with the examples that I give. So as of now, the videos are up. If you can find them, surf pro techniques, surf progression techniques, they're there, they're helpful. And my emails all over the comments. Cause anybody who comments, I leave an email or I leave my email saying, Hey, reach out. I'm happy to help. And, uh, if you want me just to respond via email, it's free. If you want to go deeper and you want to send me footage, then, you know, that costs money. So that's kind of how I work it. And anyone's welcome to reach out. I'm always happy to help. Like I said, just ask me questions. I'll answer for free in a very detailed way that you could apply, but seeing yourself is always most powerful. All right. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining Chapin. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure. This was, uh, this was awesome. So um, yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, Van, I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks.